Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind how they came to be. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you for joining me today. Let's get going. Now, you may have noticed by now, but I love stories, and I'm a bit keen on learning about my ancestors, especially their stories. One thing that I've learned as I've read their stories is that I have some Norwegian heritage, which to my mind immediately meant Vikings, although I'm not entirely sure that that is actually what they did. But one way or another, I have seafaring folk in my family history. I myself have actually lived my life landlocked. Um, I've lived by mountains for most of my life, and I adore them. But as I've gone on different adventures around the world and have found myself sometimes in new countries, learning new languages and new ways of living and different cultures, I've sometimes looked up at the stars and thought about my ancestors. Maybe they also felt alone and scared like I sometimes did. But I found some comfort in knowing that, for the most part, my ancestors had looked up at the same stars that I was looking at. I'd picture my Norwegian great-great-great-great-grandfather on a boat somewhere, on the water, looking up at the night sky above him and getting a sense of something bigger than himself, something that had been there for centuries and would continue to be there after he was gone. Kind of a sense of the divine. This thought left me feeling a little bit closer and a little bit comforted, To think that if my ancestor felt lonely on his boat and could look up at the same stars as me, maybe we weren't actually so far away. And it turns out that I'm not the only one to have looked up at the stars to gain a sense of connection or direction or meaning. Humans have been assigning meaning to the stars for thousands of years. So this week we're going to dive into that just a little bit. We'll be talking about why we can be grateful for constellations and the ways they've helped us connect over human history. So first off, what are constellations? Constellations are perceived shapes in the celestial heavens, meaning the night sky and its stars, and usually these shapes are of objects, animals, or creatures, and people. The practice of finding shapes in the stars likely goes back to prehistory. Peoples all over the world attributed meaning to these shapes, included them in their storytelling, their beliefs, mythology, or their stories of creation. Different cultures and peoples had different stories for different constellations, some of which have been lost to time and many of which have been preserved today. There are 48 Western constellations that are Greek. In the 15th century through the 18th century, European explorers added more constellations to their knowledge from the southern sky. There are also 12 zodiac constellations. We're not sure about their origins, but they could date back to um, the 2nd millennia BCE, and they were definitely used by 400 BCE in Babylonia or Chaldean astronomy. And all this information came from a Wikipedia search that quoted uh, from Archive for History of Exact Sciences. The article there used was Studies in Babylonian Lunar Theory, Part 3, The Introduction of the Uniform Zodiac. So that was... It was a a long title. That was the title. A total of 88 constellations were recognized by the International Astronomical Union in 1922. Apart from these constellations, or rather sometimes even inside these constellations, there are asterisms, which are smaller groupings of stars used by observers of the night sky to better navigate the sky. They are not themselves constellations. 
One example of an asterism would be the Big Dipper, or as it is called in the UK, the Plough. This asterism is actually part of the officially recognized constellation Ursa Major. There are also circumpolar stars that never set below the horizon and instead stay on a specific latitudinal range. Because the stars of constellations are not all necessarily near each other, they move at their own range of speeds. This means that eventually, after thousands of years, the shapes that we've drawn in the sky will move and altogether disappear, or rather become unrecognizable. So what records do we have of our earliest paintings of the night sky to fill our myths, legends, and navigation charts? There is one theory that suggests that the 17,000-year-old cave drawings of Lascaux, southern France, depict the constellations of Orion's belt, Taurus, and the Pleiades. However, this idea is largely rejected by scientists. When it comes to accepted ideas, then our first recordings of constellations in the night sky can be found in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, on clay writing tablets from 3000 BC. Some of these Mesopotamian constellations appeared later in Greek constellations as well. The Babylonians also kept track of their starry nights starting in the Middle Bronze Age. In their cataloging of the stars, however, there are many Sumerian names, which suggests that these constellations built upon those of Sumerian tradition in the Early Bronze Age. The classical zodiac come revised from the Neo-Babylonian or the Chaldean Empire, from those constellations in about 6th century BC, and the Greeks adopted Babylonian constellations by 4th century BC. In ancient Egypt, in the Ptolemaic Kingdom, there was a tradition of anthropomorphic figures representing the planets and stars. Some of the Egyptian practices, as well as Greek and Babylonian, were combined together, resulting in the zodiac of Dendera, sometime between 2nd and 4th century AD. Ptolemy's Almagest, a record of these zodiac constellations, was the standard of constellations through the Middle Ages in Europe and Islamic astronomy. China also has an ancient heritage of watching the stars in constellations, resulting in the 28 mansions, which have been found on oracle bones dating back to the middle of the Shang Dynasty, between about 1600 BCE and 1046 BCE. There are even some parallels to the Babylonian star charts, which some have suggested indicates that these star charts were not necessarily developed independently. The oldest Chinese star chart in existence is found in Tang period records and even references older charts that were created by Chen Suo. The records we have in existence currently were made by Kutan Zida. In the Song and Yuan dynasties, Chinese astronomy continued to grow and was influenced by Islamic astronomy of the Middle Ages, a map of constellations from the Song period called the Suzhou Astronomical Chart even shows the supernova of 1054 in Taurus. Later, the Chinese star charts were incorporated into world astronomy. Many countries all over the world look to the stars to divine meaning in their lives or religious symbols, to tell stories, to navigate the world with the stars, or to tell the future, or even, as with Indian astronomy, determine difficult mathematical models. Astronomy in India dates back to as far as 2000 BCE, with a calendar that included 360 days, with a variable of about 6 days, time being adjusted for every 5 years to come back in line with the solar cycles. 
It had 12 months and 30 days. Astronomy could go back even further, however, as astronomers have observed mentions in the Jyote Sho Vedango of astronomy as far back as 4000 BCE, and some would even argue 11,000 BCE. Indian astronomy was incredibly advanced, such that by the first century CE, they proposed that stars were just like the sun, only further away. Astronomers also understood that the Earth was a sphere and tried to calculate the planet's circumference. In Africa, a 7,000-year-old stone circle called Naptaplea was used to track the summer solstice and predict monsoon season. The Naptaplea is located in southern Egypt. It is older than Stonehenge and is considered the world's first astronomical site. Professor McKim Melville of the University of Colorado has called this, quote, the dawn of observational astronomy, close quote. In Africa, peoples or societies for many years had used stones to align with the stars and sun to mark the seasons, to keep track of crops and harvest, as well as celebrations. So we know that the stars have been used to help us keep track of times and seasons, but let's take a look at how the stars have helped us navigate the world. Turns out that humans have been using the stars to navigate from prehistoric times, and it's even used by some animals. Growing up, I felt like the ultimate explorer if I could identify the Big Dipper and find the North Star from there, or Polaris, however you like to call it, and that could point me to true north. Clearly, you could set me loose in the wild and I would survive just fine, just on that knowledge alone. Well, and for some of our ancestors, maybe this really was enough. A lot of this navigation relied upon angles. The tools used to navigate the sea had to do with angles between the sun, the moon, the stars, and the horizon. The earliest tools allowed sailors to navigate latitude, but not longitude. Longitude was a different matter and took a few more hundred years to figure out. Longitudinal calculations require an accurate clock, one that wasn't invented until the 1700s, the seagoing clock, or as it's also known, the chronometer. And this clock goes off of Greenwich Mean Time. Over the years, many devices to navigate the sea were invented, including the cross staff, the astrolabe, the quadrant, octant, and the sextant. Some people could navigate the sky without the use of instruments, however, such as the Maori people, who navigated from eastern Polynesia to New Zealand using only the night sky, wave currents, and weather patterns. They made this voyage sometime between 1280 and 1300. And we don't just use the stars in navigating the sea, we also use them to navigate the skies. Should all of our technology fail in airplanes, pilots can still use the stars to guide them. And now, of course, humans use the stars for navigating more than the sea or traversing the land, but they also can use them to navigate the starry skies of space. If this gets your interest peaked, you should definitely do some more digging on navigation. I know I will. It's pretty amazing how people all across the world for thousands of years have used the stars, the weather, currents, and wind to navigate to new destinations and make trade possible and explore. Now, before I sign off, let's hear at least one story behind the constellations recognized globally in the night sky. And since I've already mentioned this one, let's go with the constellation that points us to the North Star the Big Dipper, or the Plow, depending on where you live in the Northern Hemisphere. Different cultures have different stories about this constellation, or rather, this asterism. To the Greeks, the story goes that Zeus fell in love with a human named Callisto. Hera, Zeus's wife, was not happy about this, and turned Callisto into a bear. 
Callisto kept her memories of being a human, though, and years later, her son grew up and became a hunter. One day, he was about to slay his mother in bear form. He was unable to recognize her, but Zeus came in and turned him into a bear as well, and he recognized his mother. Zeus grabbed the bears by their tails and swung them around and flung them up to the sky, where they became Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, what we now call the Big and Little Dipper. North American Native Americans have different stories. Many see the handles of the dippers as hunters chasing the bears. According to an Iroquois story, all bears used to have long tails. Until one day, a bear was trying to show off for his friends and stuck his long tail into the hole in the ice to fish. Unfortunately for him, the tail froze and fell off, leaving the stubby tail that all bears have today. A Blackfoot Native American story about the constellation also involves bears, but um, it's much more gruesome and involves like a lot of murder. So uh, it's an interesting story, but a lot of murder. In Aztec mythology, the constellation is not a bear, but instead the mischievous brother of Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl's brother's name is Tezcatlipoca. Tezcatlipoca's leg was once slammed in a door, causing him to lose it. He was so upset that he caused misery for everyone. This angered Quetzalcoatl, who then turned his brother into a three-legged jaguar and put him in the sky. The jaguar is forced to dance around the North Star forever. In England and Wales, the constellation represents a plow or King Arthur's chariot. In Arabic mythology, the four stars that form the bowl of the dipper are actually the coffin for Al-Nash, and the handle is a line of mourners, including his daughter and son, following his funeral. According to mythology, Al-Nash was murdered by his brother, Al-Jadi, which is actually the North Star. All of these stories helped people find constellations in the night sky and find their way home for thousands of years. Perhaps you have a favorite among the stories that we just talked about. Now we can look up at the night sky and find a map of stories with thousands of years of history, of stories, myths, and legends above our heads, as well as the way our ancestors and we ourselves can find our way home as we make new discoveries. It's a great reminder that we're not alone and that all of humanity has spent their time gazing at the stars. And I'm grateful for it. It's almost like having a living history above our heads. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you have a wonderful day.